when you're working as a designer in a business, it's really important to think about these limitations and stick to the brief, not just in terms of the outcome of the design, but in the implementation of the design. Welcome to Design Life, a podcast about design and side projects for motivated creators. I'm one of your hosts, Femke. And I am your other host, Charlie. In today's episode, we're going to be talking about the contentious relationship sometimes between a designer and a developer, where you hand off a design that you've mocked up, perhaps you've made it all pixel perfect, um, and then the developer gets it and they see some technical, I don't know, some problems that are going to arise in trying to implement this. Or perhaps they go ahead and build it and um, then you see the finished result and it looks quite different from your design. We've all had this happen to varying levels before. And I think it's important to talk about because it's not a given that exactly what you design is going to be exactly what the developer ends up building because it is a relationship. You've got to work together on things like this. There are technical limitations to think about. So that's what we're going to talk about today. First though, Femme, how has your week been? How's your life been? Any <laughs> updates on anything for us? Yeah, I've been quite busy lately with work. Uh, coming back after the holiday season was more busy than I expected. You know, usually okay. you kind of have this slow period where you get back into it, you pick your feet up again. But mine was like on day one, bang, straight back into it, not wasting any time. So wow. <laughs> yeah, it's been a bit of a busy few weeks, um, but I'm really enjoying the work. Like work is really good. It's just very, very busy and intense. I'm actually last minute flying to San Francisco, uh, I guess this week by the time this podcast comes out to attend the config conference by Figma, which is really cool. Uh, and I also have to be there for, for work, for a workshop that I'm attending. So going to be in San Francisco, which I only recently realized is like my opportunity to get some sunshine because it's been so cold and wintry here in Toronto uh, that I am actually looking forward to leaving my jacket behind and getting some sun rays for a week. So that will be very, very nice. That will be nice. Honestly, I mean, I'm, I'm not saying this to be a dick, but I forgot <laughs> that kind of that it was so like wintry where you are. Yes. I have just spent the past 10 days driving around the South Island and swimming in lakes, sitting in the sunshine. Oh, Got a bit of a tan going on. <laughs> so sorry about that. that sorry. No, sorry. <laughs> that sounds amazing. Yeah. The winter here, I mean, it's fine, but I definitely notice a bit of I wouldn't say seasonal depression, but I definitely notice changes in my body. You know, like I'm a bit more tired. I'm a bit more sluggish, like getting up in the morning is a little bit harder. I'm not like running as much because it's freezing and dark and snowy outside. So, you know, I just definitely notice changes during this part of the year. Uh, and, you know, trying to stay positive, trying to do the small things to to make it through the winter um, and yeah, going to San Francisco will be a nice little one week break with some sun. I'm really excited. Yeah. And well, we won't cross over, I don't think, but I'll be in California soon too, um, in a couple of weeks for our next company retreat. So Bye. it's a shame those didn't quite line up, but, but still. They never line up. I swear we're, we're never going there at the same time. Maybe it will happen one day. One day, perhaps. <laughs> Tell us more about your uh, adventures down under. Well, uh, I've been sort of floating around between different family members' houses. Um, right now I'm staying at my sister's house in Wellington. On, uh, in a couple of days I'm heading back up to the Mount to stay with my parents. 
Mark and I did a road trip, like I said, in, in the South Island. We drove from Nelson down the West Coast and then into Wanaka and Queenstown, which, I mean, me naming those places, probably not going to mean much to anyone not from New Zealand. But hey, maybe you can look them up on a map and learn a little bit about our country. Uh, it's a it's a long way. It's, it's quite a big island. And um, yeah, we just spent a few days doing lots of hikes this time, which is really fun. So lots of uh, parts of the country that I've not seen before because I've not, you know, done the walks to to see them. Mm-hmm. This is some just absolutely stunning scenery. I feel super like fulfilled on like on that level of things, but going back to work was intense. Yeah, how was that? Well, it's the longest amount of time I've ever taken off work in one go. I think it was 8 days total that I took off work. Oh my gosh. Which by the way is like still considerably short. Like I know. That's ridiculous, <laughs> isn't it? Yeah, I know. Um but just so much happened in those eight days that I, I spent, I, I used Toggle to time, like time track my own stuff. Um, no one, I don't need to report that to anyone or anything like that. I just, you know, do it for myself to keep note of what I'm spending my work day on. And I think on, on Thursday when I got back, it was uh, six and a half hours was just catching up in meetings. Yeah. So it wasn't really until Friday that I got to actually get started doing some proper work. Yeah from being back and and I don't know I feel really behind and quite stressed about all that right now but I think you have to be able to take a holiday and so I know that this is just sort of something that comes with with that you know totally yeah and you shouldn't feel bad for it either like it's totally understandable if you have been away for a while that you know when you come back takes a takes a bit of time to get back up to speed with things it's totally normal do you know what should we do a podcast episode on that because I mean, that's not design specific, but as designers, it's something that we have to deal with, right? If we're going to go on a vacation of some sort. So maybe we should talk about that further in an episode. Yeah, let's do that. Great. (laughs) Well, should we get into today's topic, though, of design and development, handoff and uh, implementation issues? Let's let's call it that, I guess. Yes. Is this something that you've experienced before, Femme? Because we got that. we This topic, by the way, for everyone listening, came by way of a listener who sent an email about an issue they'd had on this topic. And as soon as I read their email about it, I was like, oh, yeah, man, this has happened to me so many times that I've sent a design. The developer like sends it back to me to review. And I'm like, what, why did you just... This this isn't what I gave you though. <laughs> like it, it happens. Um, either for a whole design or a small part of it, to some degree, it's never exactly perfect. Yeah, this has happened to me quite a bit. Uh, and over the past couple of years, which sounds like a crazy long amount of time, but basically over the last two years at Uber, we've been transitioning to like this whole new design platform and design system. Uh, I mean, we have so many apps, these things take time for a company at our scale. Oh, yeah. (laughs) And while like that has been amazing for designers, like all of a sudden we have this design system, it's all in Figma, we have components, it's very, very easy to design, it makes our process a lot easier. What has been challenging is that not always the design components available to designers is actually available to engineers in the engineering library. We've had this period where there's been disconnect between like components that I'm using to create my designs isn't always available to engineers to actually then use and implement. And this was just like a messy part of this 
process where like transitioning over to a new design system is is messy and it can be hard and it takes a lot of time and so yeah I had times in my projects where I was like cool here's the design here's the components like we've been reviewing this for a couple of months now and you're up to speed and then the engineers start implementing it and realize that oh well this design component you've used hasn't yet actually been built uh, on the engineering side And so that's where we then have to kind of make a trade-off and make a decision about how we're going to proceed if this component doesn't exist. That for me has been quite challenging because as a designer, I want everything to look good. I want everything to be consistent and to be able to use the the platform. And and that is really what the platform is for. Um, But in this transition period, it's been a little bit messy. That's hard. I hate when... I don't, I don't know. This is just something, a problem that I have with design systems in general is that they lock you in a bit too much sometimes, I think, mm-hmm. because anything that's outside of that process then becomes like not something you're going to do. Whereas the component, obviously you used it because it was the best way to get across that message or, you know, for the user to take the action, whatever it was that you were doing with it. And so, of course, you don't want to compromise and go and use something that... Or, like something worse just because it already exists. Right, exactly. That's a problem that I have with design systems in general. But I don't know. So in this situation, you were talking to the engineers throughout the process, right? And it wasn't until they actually got started building that they realized it didn't exist. So I feel like that's a little bit on the engineering team not doing their due diligence perhaps in properly reviewing and and realizing that or yeah maybe it was just an oversight but yeah I think we're trying to fix this internally through through multiple different different ways uh one being you know what if they had a internally published library where like I could go and see what's available on the engineering side and sort of compare that and match that back to the design side Again, like ideally I shouldn't have to do that. You know, ideally we get to a point where everything in the design library is available to engineering. Uh, but in the meantime, you know, maybe they could do something like that to, uh, as like a, in the meantime kind of, kind of thing. So I could check as I'm designing, but yeah, it, it is really hard. And then on the flip side, I've also had moments where, you know, let's say the component is available or, or the design is available to the engineers to implement, but maybe there's some other you know, technical limitation that comes up that stops them from being able to implement it. Or maybe there's like a scoping issue like, okay, so we we started to implement this, but we realized as we started doing it that actually it's going to take six weeks instead of four. So we need to reevaluate if this is actually worth the extra effort to implement. You know, I've, I've come across those kinds of obstacles also that, you know, you kind of just have to make a trade-off uh, in that situation and decide what is the best experience we can provide uh, that also like doesn't mean that we have to put in an, all this extra effort that kind of aligns with our ability and, and effort available. Yeah, because there are going to be trade-offs to make, right? Um, I feel like, unfortunately, often the trade-off happens that we scale back the design or we use something, you know, do something different in the design to match the development time, mm. mostly because that's the thing... Like that's what's going to increase or decrease the time, whatever is the design of it, right? Um, so we often have to be the one to compromise there. The The scoping process and the technical limitations are super important. And I think that maybe designers new to the industry or like, you know, new to working on a product team or even um, for me me and Corey on our little web web website design and, and development team at ConvertKit, we have these issues too of, of scoping and technical limitations where 
You can design what is the absolute best solution, like the coolest thing in the world, but you have to consider certain constraints. Like you at Uberfem have very tight constraints when it comes to your visual design because you're working from this preset library. You know, you can't go off and create your own components to implement, I'm assuming. No, you're correct. (laughs) I can't just go and make my own button. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Because you've got to use the button that um, has been deemed the button for Uber (laughs) in the design library. So that's a constraint that you have to work with. And there's other constraints that come about too, like um, this thing you're designing needs to be something we can build in X amount of time. Mm -hmm. And so perhaps you can't do that crazy cool carousel with all these transitions Mm -hmm. or whatever, because it's going to add to the build time. So I think that as designers, we need to keep that in mind more often when we're designing what not only is the brief in terms of what do we have to communicate with this? What's the the purpose of this thing we're designing? What action do we want the user to take? But also what are these other scoping issues that could arise um, in terms of the limitations or, you know, the time that it takes to build? I don't know. I was really frustrated by this, I think, earlier in my career because I found that, oh, everything I'm designing, I'm like, you know, having to scale it back so that we can build it. And it's not as cool as it could be if, um, you know, we could put more time into it. But when you're working as a designer in a business, it's really important to think about these limitations and stick to the brief, not just in terms of the outcome of the design, but in the implementation of the design. Yeah. And I think another like kind of, I don't know, I guess process you could or approach, I suppose you could take to this is breaking down the priorities of your product or feature, whatever it is you're working on into like launch phases, or maybe you have like a a beta or an MVP or an alpha, you know, like I feel like sometimes as a designer, especially early on in my career, I definitely had this where I wanted to like create the whole best perfect feature experience right like I wanted to include all the cool things all the edge cases like do basically the whole nine yards and while that might be the best experience in the long run it's can be very tricky to implement and so now I kind of take an approach of like okay when I'm starting a project I go for like we call it internally north star like what's the north star of this what is like if if I could design anything I wanted and engineering wasn't an issue, what what would the experience be? What's the ultimate experience? And I kind of start there with exploring. And then from there, start start cutting back, like start refining back towards like, okay, cool. This is like the big ultimate goal. What is the like MVP version of this that we can actually build and ship in 12 weeks, whatever whatever time period it is. And then think about how you could add on extra launch phases like okay so for MVP we're including these three features Uh, then after 12 weeks let's start building feature number four and kind of roll it out over time that's kind of the approach that I try to take now because I know that if I go in like you know pushing with the whole north star from day one it's just going to be really really tricky Uh, and in fact sometimes I also like the benefit of when you do these kind of smaller smaller launches and smaller rollouts, you can actually get feedback and learn over time that you could then implement to kind of improve the next version. And so, you know, you're going to get feedback that's going to influence what the North Star eventually is going to be. Uh, And I don't know, I think that's really beneficial also. Totally. I love that. Thanks for 
like detailing your process that you think through in doing this. Can I take some time to go through mine? Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, it's very similar, but kind of different also because um, of the different places that we work, I suppose. So when I have a new project underway, my first thing that I go through, and this is not like a, a framework or like a, a strict process or anything like that. It's literally just me sitting there thinking, all right, how important is this to the business and how much time should I dedicate to it? Um, like how important should this project be in amongst everything else we're working on? Because some things will be like, we just need to get something out there. So I'm just going to do like an MVP version from the start. I don't even bother doing the, what I would call blue sky thinking, what you're calling North Star. I say, yep. So for those ones, I just go straight away with, um, okay, what do we need to do that could meet the requirements of communicating this information? Oh, here's some like uh, design components I've used in the past. We're just going to pull them in uh, and do that sort of thing. But when it's a project that I am able to dedicate solid design time to and we have deemed it as important to the business and something to like invest our resources in, I do the same thing as you. I start with this blue sky thinking of like what would be the very best way that I think we could portray this information, uh, could get this web page done. Uh, and from there, I usually work with my developer, Corey, to try and scale it back or like spot limitations early on. Um, so when I have an idea that I, cause I know our code base really well, right? I used to code our website for two years. So I know what already exists as code or what we've done before, for example. So I know where he could pull from other things and where he's going to be having to create new things. Cause I make him create new design components all the time. <laughs> um, cause we're not very like design library focused as Uber is. So sorry, Corey, if you're listening, <laughs> So we talk together about, like, we go over the design. I'm like, this is my idea for this. It's going to do this. And, um, you know, you're probably going to have to create this as part of it because this doesn't exist already. And we just have a conversation about how, like, if he thinks that would be an issue or not. And um, sometimes he'll be like, well, what if we did this instead? That would make things a lot easier. Um, and then if it's something that I know, like, won't have a big impact on the outcome of the design and it's an easy change to make, then I'm like, great, let's go ahead and do it. But sometimes knowing that can help me push for more business resources. Mm -hmm. You know, if I've said, Corey said it's going to take this amount of time to build that. And I'm like, well, that like is outside of the time frame we'd said, but I think it's important. So let's just spend extra time on it. And it just helps us keep our expectations aligned, I suppose. Um, another thing that can happen in our process is me giving him my finished mock-up. He builds it. And then it comes back looking slightly off. Right. And um, then I, I do my design review and I give feedback as to like what I think needs to change. And that's when some things can come out like, oh, this is off because of this reason. Um, and we can have discussions there. But it is often a conversation for me in this process in talking through things and learning from him what is and is an effort to build because there's some things that I'm like oh I don't know this seems a bit risky it's gonna add <laughs> to the time load and he's like no that's super easy Charlie don't even worry about it I'm like oh okay great <laughs> I think this brings up like probably the biggest takeaway for this episode which is talk to your engineer oh yes please talk to your engineer <laughs> yeah so if if you're not involving your engineer in your design process and you know you're you're away designing you create the thing and then you hand it over to them and they're seeing it for the first time 
be prepared to to run into some issues there. I think it's really, really important to involve your engineer throughout the design process. We have regular weekly reviews. So on a weekly basis, I'm showing the engineers any updates to the design. We have an ongoing chat where we're talking about any changes that we're making or discussing uh, implementation, how things will be implemented. And so this is a relationship that you really need to kick off from day one on the project. And another tip that I'll add, which is what I try to do is when I'm doing these design reviews with my engineers, I put forward a proposal. So I have like, okay, here's what I'm proposing. Here's the screen. Here's how it's going to work. This is what I think the best experience is. But in the back of my pocket, I have a few other explorations. So Ooh, <laughs> so if there is an issue with, with my proposal or, you know, a limitation comes up or something technical or engineers, you know, for whatever reason, have some concerns about it, then I'll pull up the other explorations I had and say, okay, well, what about this? This is another exploration I had that, you know, I don't think it would work as well, but maybe we could make a compromise here and, and something like this might work better. Um, and so that's just a way I think to keep the conversation rolling uh, and to also kind of show to your engineers that you've thought about them, you've considered them and you've done more explorations than just the one. Um, but I do think it's important to have an opinion and have a point of view by like putting one proposal forward and just having the others in your back pocket in case you need to to bring them up. I love that, fam. That is such great advice because obviously we want the ideal situation to be the thing that's built, but this is about compromise. And so if you are already ready with some other options, mm -hmm. um, that will help speed up the process. And I think it shows a lot of like good faith with your engineers as well. Yeah. And I think and that doing these other options shouldn't necessarily be extra work. You should already have these from the explorations you've done. Right. So, oh, yeah. so in Good my point. exploratory <laughs> process, like I'm exploring a lot of different ideas, a lot of different things. And eventually, you know, the stars align and I get to, to a quote unquote finished design. Right. And that's my proposal. That's what I want to go forward with. But I have all these other explorations, too. So just take the other, you know, good candidates that you have and, you know, maybe tidy them up a little bit, but have them available to, to bring up in case someone has concerns with your initial proposal. Yeah. Fantastic advice. This is about compromise, and but I think it's also, like I said at the start, that it's often us designers who end up changing things to like make the development situation better. I think it's important too to know when to push on an engineer and when when to when to commit to something and when to say no. This is important. Please spend the time to make this, um, you know, how it's supposed to be. I had this problem at. Um, I think this honestly happens at bigger companies in my experience. Cause I had this issue most at zero working with engineers there where I don't know, I think people get more cautious about committing to things and overstating scope perhaps in a bigger company because they're aware of the, like, it makes sense. They're aware of the consequences that can happen yeah. when they get that wrong. So it makes more sense to give yourself a lot more buffer, you know, but um, I don't know when there's a piece of, of the design that they're saying, no, we can't build that. It's going to take too long. But I'm like, well, I mean, I know how to code myself <laughs> and I know that <laughs> you can do this. And I've seen you do something similar before and you've got to know when to push and when to like trust them. And um, I mean, you should always try and trust them, but when to go with their, um, their gut reaction and um, when to try and push for more um, for your design. 
And I think honestly that learning to code has helped me so much with that. Speaking the same language as them, understanding more about what the development process entails and how coding works um, helps me to, first of all, spot things in my design that I think are going to be issues. Like I said, sometimes it turns out they're actually not. And that's usually because I am not as good a developer as Corey, which, you know, makes sense. <laughs> and so he knows ways to do things that I don't. But yeah, it is important to know when to push back. And um, you don't want to get a reputation as a, design, as a designer who always pushes back. But I think it's okay to do it sometimes. Yeah, I thinking about this, I almost always challenge my engineers, not necessarily yep. in a pushback kind of way, but more I'm just trying to understand more from them why why they're pushing, if that makes sense. So, you know, if they if you show them something and they say, oh, no, we can't do that. I wouldn't accept that as a response. I'm, I'm going to push them to kind of tell me a little bit more, like, why is that? Try and understand from their perspective why that thing can't be done. And often it does get a bit technical and I don't understand all of it, I will admit. But mostly I can kind of wrap my head around um, what their concerns are. And I think you need to tr at least try to have that understanding to then make that decision of like, okay, yes, that does make sense. It, it is too much, too much end requirement or it, it is increasing scope too much. Uh, so, so yes, let's cut back. Or you can say, okay, well, I understand your perspective and I understand what you're saying, but I don't know. I think this is really, really important. This is going to make or break the experience. Is there any way we could discuss X, Y, Z, whatever it is needed to get it across the line? I can imagine for you, like that's where your coding experience must come in really, really handy because you can actually understand technically what the reasoning is. Um, for me, it requires a little bit more trust to, to trust them and that they know what they're talking about, which I'm sure that they do. Uh, but yeah, I would say that I almost always challenge in trying to understand the why from their perspective before kind of accepting the decision. I love that you do that because, I mean, you just said that you don't understand code or whatever, but every single time you ask them this question and you do listen to that answer, you're learning, right? Oh, for sure. And you're learning more about code and, and limitations and how it works. Yeah. Um, and I think every designer should be doing that. That's really great advice. For sh absolutely. Yeah. Um, and I think that it goes the other way too, that we can help our engineers and developers more by explaining our design process and thoughts mm, about why mm -hmm. we want things a certain way instead of saying this is the design this is how it goes um, there's lots of times where I explain to Corey this is why I know it's ridiculous that I'm asking you to move this thing by 10 pixels <laughs> but this is why it's important to me and like you know my thinking for for how we're doing this we can help teach each other when we explain our decisions in that way so yeah I think it's good to ask but also if ask the designer to offer up that information to the engineers even if they're not asking Totally. Yeah. It's, it's amazing. I feel like I've learned more about like coding development, engineering while being like a designer than before, which I, I don't know. I, it's strange. Like I, in the past did a few courses on uh, Treehouse and things like that, mm -hmm. um, which was super helpful, but actually working like in a, in a product team with these engineers, I, I never really stopped to consider how much I'm learning about development, even though I'm not like actively a developer. Um, but I think, you know, it has such an influence on design and you're, you're so, you know, you work together so closely, they, they influence each other so closely that you kind of need to understand one to, to do the other well. So yeah, I, I don't think every designer needs to go out and learn how to code so they can understand like their engineer's limitations. But I do think it's helpful to 
have a bit of a basic understanding of how development works so that you can make those good decisions. And also so that you can even just trust each other more in the process. Right, yeah. Right? And and not feel as frustrated when your designs can't be implemented because you'll have a better understanding of why that is. Uh, just quickly before we end, I want to talk about another like limitation thing that comes up as part of my process that I only just thought about. Yeah, please. And that is when I have accidentally designed something that is not going to be like a major tax to build, but will increase the build time. Um, and like perhaps I haven't realized that. So something that I like to do with Corey on things where maybe I'm not sure or maybe it's a project that I know I'm like, this is just a quick get it out the door one. I'll say to him, if there's anything in this build as you set about doing it, because I know sometimes you can't, you know, know that up front until you get into the actual doing it stage. Uh, if there's anything that you like you get stuck on or that slows down your your process or I don't know turns out to be more difficult than you expect let me know because I'm not like completely married to anything in this design right and so everything I'm able to change just so he knows that okay well this this is this is not a situation where this is the design I've got to try and get it as close as possible on this project we're way more flexible um, and so I know Charlie's open to my suggestions of this or whatever uh, and that works out really well and he he'll do something like well, um, instead of doing this, which I know you, you said you wanted, um, I did this instead because it was like something already existed or, you know, something like that. And, um, again, it's more learning between us both in, in what we have available and how long things take. And it, it means that we meet the business goals at the end of the day, mm -hmm. which was to get the page out quicker, not to have the page match the design perfectly. Right. That's such a good point. Like sometimes the goal is not necessarily having the pixel perfect design, but yes. meeting the business goals. And I've definitely had projects where like similar situation, like not as flexible as you and Corey's relationship, but where it's like, okay, I want to do this fancy thing. Do we need it to meet the business goal? No. Okay, let's scrap it and, and not have it in there. And at the end of the day, it has no impact really, whether it was in there or not, didn't really matter as to whether we met the, the objectives. So yeah, some things I think, you know, you just got to be okay with letting go if it doesn't impact the business goal. Yeah, like pick your battles and know when to fight for something and when not. Like fighting for this little extra fancy thing you knew wasn't worth your time. But if it was something that through your process and your research, who like you were the subject matter expert on that, right? Like you, you're the one closest to this. Mm -hmm. If there was something people were advocating for taking out that you knew was essential to the user experience, you would fight for that part because you know it's important. Totally. Um, so it's not about like giving up everything and being completely flexible all the time. <laughs> it's about being flexible on the things that don't matter as much and uh, using those like battle energy <laughs> for the ones that do matter. Yep, totally. It's always so interesting to hear about your your process and your relationship with Corey. And I think the scale of our companies is so different. I, I think it's cool that so we different. can offer these different <laughs> perspectives. Yeah, yeah. I think it's great. Good on you for starting work at Uber so that we can make our <laughs> podcast more interesting. <laughs> Love it. All right. Where can people go to listen to more episodes? You can go to designlife.fm or you can just open up whatever the heck podcasting app you're listening to right now and search Design Life and subscribe to us. Uh, then you'll get new episodes whenever we publish them, which we know have not been incredibly regular lately. But that is because we have lives and jobs and we don't do this full time. And I, I'm pretty sure I've heard from a lot of people that that's why you actually enjoy listening <laughs> to these episodes, because you do get to hear about our real lives and real 
full-time jobs. So unfortunately, that's a trade-off we have to make is that it means we lack a little bit in consistency. But thank you to everybody for We're sticking with us. We're still here. <laughs> We're still here, yes. I met some people. Um, I spoke at Creative Mornings in Wellington um, earlier this week or last week, I guess, by the time this episode goes out. And there's people there who said they've been listening to our podcast for years. Oh, my and gosh. I was like, Wow. That just means a lot to know that someone's stuck around for that long. Um, That's crazy. And it's just, it's cool. Yeah, it's really cool. So thank you to anyone, whether you, this is the first episode, or whether you've been listening from the start, we appreciate you. We definitely do. All right. See you next episode. Bye, fam. Bye, Charlie.